Well, welcome and thanks for joining us today on the Abundance Podcast. We'll just get right started here in prayer. Well, thank you, God, for this opportunity to come together and to uh, look at your word and allow it to change our lives. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, and we thank you for this day. You are awesome, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to start this series, we're going to be doing a series on the sovereignty of God. And uh, in this first part, it is entitled, God is Good. The sovereignty of God teaching is a fundamental doctrine of Christianity that must be understood properly in order for us to have true, unrestricted freedom in our lives. But unfortunately, with the way that God's been represented, a lot of what's been said about him would get him arrested or even imprisoned for the role he plays in the events that take place in our life. Before we really get into this, I want to start off by stating what the purpose of this series is not meant to be. This series is not meant to debate doctrine. The sole purpose is meant to bring about freedom. The topic of the sovereignty of God has the potential to be a touchy subject, and and, and why is that? Because a lot of what we're going to see through the Word today may go against some of the beliefs that we've held on to our whole lives. Now, if, if from time to time, if you happen to hear boldness in my voice, it's not because I'm upset with any individual. It's actually the complete opposite. My ultimate hope with this podcast and and specifically with this series on the sovereignty of God is I want us to get freed up. (laughs) I want us to to obtain the freedom that God, that Jesus purchased for us. So again, I'm passionate about this topic because a lot of what we've been taught in the body of Christ uh, has as a result left us in bondage. And for a lot of us, we may not even be aware of how an improper understanding in this area can affect us. But ultimately, the enemy has used the sovereignty of God doctrine to pervert or skew our understanding of God's nature and his person and his character. Um, The enemy has just run wild with it. The the enemy loves (laughs) for well-intentioned Christians to take this sovereignty of God teaching and ultimately over the years, it's turned into something that the the Bible just doesn't support it. And we're going to talk about that today. So... I'm asking that you give me the benefit of the doubt. Again, I'm not sharing this to be argumentative or whatever word you can use there to fill in in the blank. The desire behind this is to get us freed up, to help us, because it's helped me. Um, These are all things that that I believed or I thought were true. And once I saw it in the Word and once I got better understanding of it, man, I'll tell you what, (laughs) it it just changed my life. And, And like I said... This is something that is so important for Christians to understand because it's it really affects the way that we minister to people. And and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but if we have if we represent God's character and his nature as something that it isn't to an unbeliever, it's just going to push him away from God. And I want to share something with you John 16:33 and this is Jesus talking. It says, "These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So some of us may not know this. Some of us may have been going to, to, to church for years and have no idea that, you know, we're in a battle. And I'm not talking about a spiritual warfare where we get 100 plus people and we and we try and get everybody together to pray about something and, and, and there's nothing wrong with more than one or two people praying. 
but sometimes when we when we pray prayers and we're begging and pleading to God, that's actually out of unbelief. So I'm not talking about quote unquote spiritual warfare and kind of off topic is what I believe spiritual warfare is just standing on what Christ has already done. It's not us really trying hard and bum rushing the gates of heaven with a million prayers and praying for 24 hours straight. It's just believing what he did and, and believing that it's already finished. And our God, our, our, excuse me, our job is just to believe in that and stand on that. And that's what I believe actually spiritual warfare is. But anyways, all I was trying to get across with this scripture is that we are going to have tribulation in this world. Jesus himself said it. So sometimes if we don't have tribulation, if we're not coming up against stuff of the enemy, you know, maybe we're heading in the, in the same direction as the enemy because the enemy's like, well, they're not really doing anything for the Lord. They're just thinking everything's just going to be hunky-dory. So I really don't have to mess with them because they're not really pursuing the things of God anyway. So anyways, so if you're, I want to encourage you, if you're running into things, and you're seeking after God and you're, and you're trying to do things to advance his kingdom and you're running up against stuff, that's probably a good sign that you're doing things the right way. So let me start off with some, some examples from my personal life where an improper application of the sovereignty of God uh, actually did more damage than it did good. So for me, uh, in my personal life, my dad died when I was eight. He was killed in a car accident and I believe he was around 48 years old and he was he was uh, coming home from work or going to work or coming home. I think it was coming home from work and uh, a semi uh, hit a hit a patch of ice, crossed the center lane and hit him and, and Indy died. Um, also, my sister died of cancer when I was 15. She was 28 and she actually died in my living room. She had been fighting uh, melanoma for a while and I wish I would have known what I know now with... Uh, the believer's authority and 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 what our role is our, our role is not to just ask god and beg and plead and and expect god you know some of us got this idea of god that he's like this guy sitting up in heaven looking down at us and kind of deciding well nope i don't want to heal that person uh they haven't done enough they haven't prayed enough uh they haven't <laughs> they haven't done enough sackcloth and ashes went whining you know and that's not the right phrasing but they they haven't like like God's up in heaven, like helping some people and not helping some people. And that's, that's just a total misrepresentation of who the father is. But, you know, my sister, uh, she actually died in our living room and her health was wasting away. And, and, and I actually was in my bedroom when she died. We had some, some friends over, um, and family and, and they came in, came into the room and got me and said, Hey, your sister's passed. So I actually, you know, got to see the tail end. And, and I remember one time being at basketball practice and uh, someone coming and getting me because they thought that she was going to die like within that hour or whatever. And so I come home and, and I can't remember how, I think I'm, I'm guessing it was probably pretty close to that when she ended, ended up dying, but it wasn't that same day. But I mean, just what a terrible, not, not, I just had this terrible representation of man why god why are you letting this happen how is this your will and 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 i was only 15 at the time freshman in high school but yeah it was just it, it would just it kind of shaped some of the ways that i i viewed god now a lot of my childhood i flat out don't remember and that's a whole nother topic and i'm not sure anybody specifically told me any of the things that i'm about to share but this is what you typically hear and it was 
what I believed to be true when I was 15. It was that God's will was that she died. It was his will that all things happen for a reason. We shouldn't question God's plan. If you've been, you know, if you've been to a graduation ceremony, chances are you've heard this scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. So what I just want to point out there is it, it says right here in this scripture that God's plans or his thoughts towards us are for peace and they're not of evil. And there's so many scriptures like that in the in the Bible. But I don't know how we took that, scriptures like that, and turned it into, well, these things happened and it was God's will. And and we'll discuss and we'll and we'll, we'll get on that here. Again, the topic here is that God is good. And we have to establish that God, first off, is good. Because in the scripture it says he he wants to give you a future and a hope and, and one not translation, but one version says an expectant end, a good a good expectation, something good in the future. So growing up, I believed it was God's will or plan for my sister and my dad's life to be cut short. And I grew up in church. And, and that's not a criticism of anybody from my childhood, anyone I knew growing up. That that's, that's not the point of this. Um, we're all on a journey. And for followers of Christ, we're to pursue growing our relationship with Jesus while along the way representing him the best we know how with wherever we're at in our understanding. So, and who knows, you know, because I was so young, uh, you know, maybe that was being taught. I, I, I don't, I don't remember, but again, the whole hope of this is to bring people freedom. God will use whatever he can to draw us closer to him. And some of us, we may not have the understanding that God is good. We might be able to say that because, you know, hey, there's songs about it and that, but we we have this misrepresentation of God. We say, yeah, God's good, but then he put this on me or these bad things happen and it was from God. And and that's that's not that's not a good God. That's not a good description. So again, I'm not criticizing anyone from my childhood or anything like that. That's totally not the point. But I just, I don't remember anyone sharing with me what I'm about to share because it definitely would have helped me understand what took place with my dad dying and my sister dying. It would have helped me understand it a little better. So here we go. The sovereignty of God. So God is sovereign. Yes, I'm not saying he's not, but it's not in the way that a lot of people have been taught. So if by sovereign, we use the dictionary definition, then yes, by all means, God is sovereign. So the dictionary definition of sovereign is paramount, supreme, all-knowing, above all, independent, knows the end from the beginning. If this is what we mean when we say God is sovereign, then yes, absolutely. And scripture supports that. But what a lot of the body of Christ have been taught is completely contrary to scripture. Now, again, this may sound like blasphemy with some of the things I'm going to say, uh, but but if you'll give this a chance, you'll see that I'm going to do my best to support everything I'm about to say with multiple scriptures throughout this series. And some of the things that we're going to go over in this series are Paul's thorn in the flesh, the book of Job, how God doesn't violate his own word with things that he said, with what he's put into place. God won't violate those things. Um, so anyways, we're going to go over, you know, it's, it's probably going to be a four, at least four, maybe five part series, um, just because this this sovereignty of God teaching is just so ingrained in us in 
you know, because our hearts are in the right place. When we believe that, yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself, but so at the end of this, if you're still not convinced, not because of my persuasive speech, but because you've seen it in the Bible with your own eyes, then just chalk it up to, you know, that I must be deceived. I must not know what I'm talking about. But if you'll listen with an open mind and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal himself through his word, I believe this will set you free from a lot of religious teaching and just like it did me because at the end of the day, I used to believe all the things that I'm sharing with you against. <laughs> I used to I used to believe it all. So, and again, you know there was a day when we didn't even know that Jesus was the Lord and Savior, but how could we change to believing in him and and become a born again believer? Someone had to share it with us and we had to receive it. And and the same thing goes with this. So don't let the enemy turn this into a condemning message if you've believed some of these things to be true because that's that's not it. God has come to set the captive free. He's come to 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 bring us freedom. And I believe that this sovereignty of God teaching at its core, it, once we get a, a grasp of this, it'll totally transform our lives and how we view the Word of God. So again, as we're going through this, feel free to hit pause, uh, open up your Bible, read the scripture, come back, hit play, and then follow along. I want you to actually see it in your Bible so it's not just, oh yeah, he said he said that and that sounds good. I want you to see it in your in your Bible. And now when I say that, if you don't have a Bible, if you're uh, at work and you've got some headphones in or you're driving or something like that, don't not listen to this just because you don't have your Bible. That's not what I'm getting at. But ultimately, you know, if, if you are, go back and listen to it again and just go over the scriptures because, you know, this isn't a race. We just we just want to grow in our understanding of the word and in our relationship with God. So I'm going to refer to what has been taught to a lot of the body of Christ as the extreme sovereignty of God. Because like I said, God is sovereign, but what's happened in the body of Christ is it's turned into an extreme sovereignty of God. So what is the extreme sovereignty of God? Some some examples are everything that happens is God's will. That all things happen for a reason, that God is allowing everything to happen that happens, and that God across the board controls everything. So let me be clear out of the gate. God does not control everything. <laughs> and I know that sounds like blasphemy, but consider this. If it were true God controlled everything, then our actions are irrelevant and meaningless because no matter what we do, what God wants or wills to happen will ultimately come to pass. So believing that God controls everything renders a person passive. You know, why pray and believe for something better? since what God wills always comes to pass. So again, I apologize if, 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 if I come across as, I'm not trying to sound condescending or anything like that. I just, this teaching, it ticks me off. Um, and I'm not ticked off at people. I'm ticked off at what the enemy has used to come against people. And, and yeah, it perverts and skews everything for the non-believer that hears things and things. This was God's will for your for your sister to die or for your dad to die. Why would they want anything to do with God? They wouldn't. I'm going to read one of these phrases again. If it were true God controlled everything, then our actions are irrelevant and meaningless because no matter what we do, God wants what what God wants or wills to happen will ultimately come to pass. Now, if that were the case, I couldn't even be saying what I'm saying if this wasn't God's will. So let's start off with the first scripture we have, just a blatant example of scripture that goes against 
this extreme sovereignty of God teaching. It's in 2 Peter 3.9. says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay, so in this scripture we see it is God's will that no person should perish, that they should come to repentance. But Jesus in Matthew 7.13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. So back to the other verse, but it just said it's God's will that none perish and that none go to hell. But then Jesus comes back and says, many are going to go to hell because broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. So ultimately, it's God's will that all receive the free gift of of salvation. But do all trust in Jesus? No, no, not everybody receives this free gift. So why is that? Because God has given us all the right to choose. God God is all-powerful, okay? He, he absolutely is supreme. He's independent. He's above all. He knows the end from the beginning, absolutely. But he doesn't choose to use his power in a way that denies our right to choose. So in part three, we'll talk about how God, God will never violate his word and there are things that he's done that restrict him from doing anything. And I just mean... He can't do anything he wants. And I'm again, I know that sounds blasphemous, but the reason why is because he put things into place. For example, he, he well, well, we'll get into that later. Before we even take a look at another scripture, let's take a look at a topic like sickness and disease. So if it was God's will that any of us had to deal with sickness and disease, then why would we fight against something that he willed for us to have? If God gave it to you, why wouldn't you just bask in it and enjoy it? You know, that doesn't make any sense. And here's an example. If you got a headache, you know, why would we even take a Tylenol? Why would we try to get rid of the headache if if God gave it to us? I mean, as believers, we should want to follow God's will for our lives, right? Another example, cancer. Why would we ever go to the hospital or, or get treatment or anything along those lines if it was God who was allowing it to happen in our lives for our benefit? Even non-believers know that this line of thinking is screwed up. So why would they want anything to do with a God like that? And the answer is they wouldn't. They would not. They don't want anything to do with a God like that. So next we need to look at, is God good? And that's what this the whole first part of this series is, God is good. So is he good? When asked this, a lot of believers would automatically respond by saying, yes, God is good. But how could we consider anyone to be good who would hurt, torment, and ultimately bring about grief in someone else's life on purpose? And, and I'm going to give you an example. And, and I'm going to touch on this. I'll tell the, a little bit further explanation of this in, in part two. But, you know, we give this representation of God being like a dad who has a, a kid and the kid is has been riding his bike out in the road. And so the dad calls up his neighbor and says, Hey, uh, I'm trying to teach my kid to stay out of the road. When you leave for work today, will you run him over with your car? Because I really want to teach him a lesson. And and that sounds so stupid and crazy, but that's the representation. That's the nature and the character of God that we're showing to other people when we tell them things like, well, this was God's will and all things happen for a reason. And that all things happen for a reason, that's not scripture. You won't find a Bible verse that says that. 
So first we need to establish that God is good and we need to do it through scripture. It can't be my opinion or, or your opinion it needs to be, we need to see it in the word. So, um, and we're going to have a bunch of them here because, you know, we really need to staple this down. We really need to have it in our heart and know for sure that God is good. John 10.10 10 says, the thief. Now, who is the thief? It's Satan. The thief does not come except to steal and kill and to destroy. I, and now it's referring to Jesus, I have come that they may have life and that they have it more abundantly. The next verse in John's 10, 11 says, and it's still Jesus, says, I, Jesus, am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives life for the sheep. So again, I kind of misspoke that there, but that's okay. I, I, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So a lot of times people read that verse and say, "There, see, there it is. But the thing with this is this scripture is not attributing the responsibility for temptation to the Lord, but rather the Lord is saying, there are limits as to how far he will allow us to be pressured under temptation. Even when we reach this limit, this verse does not promise that the Lord will remove the situation. He provides a way of escape, but we have to take it. We have to choose it. And we can rest assured that anyone who yields to temptation either failed to see it or just plain old rejected what God's way of escape was. So I like to think of God with this scripture as God almost being like a referee or an umpire. He doesn't allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. He, he makes sure that that doesn't happen. Now, this scripture does not mean that everything that comes against us is because we've sinned. Uh, we live in a fallen world, and there's some, some different situations of why thing, bad things happen in our lives. One thing that we've already kind of discussed is that the enemy comes to steal the word. And James 1, 13 through 14 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. I'm going to read that one again, because that, that, that's, a, that's a really good couple verses. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he, and that's referring to you and I, is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So the junk that comes our way in our life is not from God. He's not allowing bad things to happen to you, to teach you something. It's, it's none of that. And again, I'll explain this later. Next, we're going to look at a really common scripture, uh, and it's in Psalms 23, it's verses 1 through 6. So it starts off by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So here, here's something I want to point out in this scripture. It says he's my shepherd. It's one thing to acknowledge the Lord as a shepherd or the shepherd. But David, who was the writer of this, David wrote this psalm. He knew that the Lord was my shepherd. David knew God was for him, not against him. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. So this represents total safety with every need being met. And, and what I want to point out to you is you've already got it. You've, and there's a really good teaching out there called You've Already Got It. God did not create those green pastures that this verse describes 
uh, and still waters the moment we needed them. He has already given us everything we need for for this earth. You know, some something kind of neat is that you know when God created the world, first off, He called it good. He didn't make anything bad. He said it was all good. So that's a good place to start as we're talking about God is good. Because if God wasn't good, he would have made some bad stuff, but he didn't. But when he made creation, he he made it to produce after itself. He's never again made another tree. He's never again made another cow. He's never again made another human being. All these things have created after themselves or, or uh, continued on uh, after themselves. And the same thing goes for our lives now. Jesus, when he died on the cross, was buried and resurrected. He did everything that we'll ever need for us then. And so that's another teaching that I'm, I'm not really getting into today. But he, he has already provided everything that we need. Everything we'll ever need is already in our born-again spirit right now. Healing has already been made available. Provision has already been made available soundness in our mind has already been made available all all these and there's a bunch of things i could list everything that we need has already been made available and where is it it's in our born again spirit and our job is to renew our minds and learn to cooperate and believe for what we already have and that's a really (laughs) oversimplification of it Uh, one day i'll do a series on on that teaching of you've already got it and to kind of what Jesus really did for us, what we already have and what we've already obtained. Uh, we don't have to beg and plead and try to get something from God. He's already given it to us. So how do we get to them? And in, in this scripture, uh, we're talking about the green pastures and, and the still waters. How do we get to them? We walk according to his will for our lives. As we cooperate, God, God leads us to the provision he intended for us to have all along. But our choices affect when and if we get to receive his provision. But we must understand that his desire for us is always good. Again, we're talking about, is God good? And we're trying to establish that, that God is good through the word of God. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So the soul that it's referring to is our mind, our will, and our intellect. Religion has come along and, and, and tried to use soul and spirit interchangeably try to say and combine them and say that they're the same thing but they're not you are a spirit you live in a body and you have a soul your spirit soul and body in first thessalonians 5 23 it says now may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ third john 1 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. So right here we're saying, you know, <laughs> we're, we're seeing that God's will for us is that you prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. It's not God's will for sickness and disease to be on our body. And so a lot of times, and I've already kind of touched on this, but sometimes people have been told things like, Oh, God put this cancer on you to teach you a lesson and oh it's gonna it's gonna do things to advance the kingdom well let me say this and i'm going to use this scripture later but god's will is to turn all things to the good and 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 that verse continues that's just not how it stops it says for all who were called according to his purpose but 
So God can use a situation like someone dying or something like that. And, and God can take a situation like that and turn it to good, get people to come to Christ through that or, or whatever the case may be. God can do that. But that is not his will. It was not his will that some young baby dies or or that you have a sickness or I have a sickness and I don't, but I'm healed in Jesus' name. Um, that's not his will. Ultimately, his, his will is that you may prosper and be in health just as your soul prospers. So again, back to my point, just to finish that thought, is that if God could use something like a sickness, and again, it's not from God, but if he could, because what did we read in, in, in John 10, 10, the thief who is Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay. That's not God. That's not New Testament God. Because ultimately, if we receive healing and we're healed of some incurable disease and people find out and then, and then you're able to give the testimony that, yeah, God, he healed me 2000 years ago. And then you can explain how you got a hold of it, how you received your healing, how it manifested because God already did it. He'll take that situation and do much more than what a circumstance like like you wasting away like my sister did. And that's not on her. She just didn't have this understanding. I didn't have this understanding. We didn't have this understanding around here to be able to minister to her and press into what God had already done for her and see the healing take place in her life. But God will take that situation, take a situation where we're healed and use that much more than in that. So I think you get the point. But again, it is God's will. And, and I've, this is about the fourth time I've read this scripture, but it's this is so good. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. God is good. That is his will. And I'm not going to apologize for getting fired up over that because that's awesome. If that's the only scripture you knew, or I knew when we were going through a when we were going through an issue, man, we could be so refreshed and have peace and be excited about that because even though my body is telling me one thing, it is God's will that I will prosper and be in health just as my soul prospers. So the next scripture, Isaiah twenty six three, it says it says you will keep him and it's re- who's the him? It, it, it's referring to you and I. So you God will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so this peace in this scripture is referring to wholeness. But with the mind, our soul, it says whose mind is stayed on you. And that is God. Why? Because we trust in him. So are we depressed? And I'm going to talk about depression here. This is not to be uh, insensitive. Okay. I, 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 Here's what I want to get out of this, and I probably have this written down later in my notes, but I'm going to say it now. If we don't know that trials and tribulation are going to come, that the enemy is going to try and put sicknesses and, and disease on us, he's going to try and bring thoughts and junk into our minds and trying to get us in, into a state of depression or whatever the case may be, okay? Now, if we thought that that was from God, we wouldn't fight against it, right? I mean, I talked about a Tylenol, like, uh, 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 excuse me, a, a headache earlier. Well, that's something where there is an easy, you know, prescribed or, or over-the-counter thing where I can take Tylenol, my headache goes away. So we don't even think about it then. But with something like depression, if we don't know that one, that's not from God, and that two, that God has a way to restore us and to give and and give us peace 
and wholeness, just like we read about that scripture in, in Isaiah 26, 3. If we don't know that that's an option, we won't resist it. We'll think that one, it's God's will or, or, and we'll just go along with it. And, and all I'm trying to do is I am not trying to bring condemnation. Do not let the enemy get that in, in your mind. What I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to share with you that that isn't God's will. And so as a result of us knowing that, of us having that revelation, what then happens? We know that we can fight against it. And ultimately, praise God for doctors, praise God for all the different resources there are, but ultimately the, the word of God has the ability to transform every aspect of our life. And so again, all I'm trying to do is point out that it's not God's will that God is good, and I know I'm going over and over on this, that I'm, I'm really laboring this down, but this, this doctrine of the extreme sovereignty of God has just been so ingrained in us for so long that I've got to say it a million different times and from a million different angles. And again, these are all things I believed. So I'm only sharing this because it has brought so much freedom and peace and joy in my life. I can't express it. I wish I could. So anyways, again, we're going to be start talking about depression here, and that's not to bring condemnation. I just want to point out some things about it so that you can say, you know what? This isn't God's will. God wants better for me. He desires for good in my life, for, for depression not to have a hold on my life, and I'm going to start pressing towards it. And it's not a race, okay? The, the word is like a seed, and, and just like it's tough to see a plant uh, grow in, in real time, but over time, that seed grows and it, yeah, so you get, you get the idea. So are we depressed? If we really stopped and thought about what we've been thinking on and dwelling on, chances are we'd find that we've been thinking about depressing things. Again, that's not to condemn anyone, but just, just, just stop and think. What have I been thinking about? And a lot of times it, it, it is depressing things. Joyce Myers has a really good book, Says it's called Battlefield of the Mind. And man, that book, I don't care if, if depression or, or whatever it is, that is a great book to read. But Joyce Myers says, if you're depressed, stop thinking about depressing thoughts. So it's our choice what we think about. In Matthew 6, 22, and this is Jesus talking, he says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, our whole body will be full of light. Our eyes and our ears are what let in the things that mess with our soulish realm, our, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our eyes and our ears are what let the things in that affects our, our mind. Again, I'm not trying to put everybody in a box. I don't know all the different things that have to do with depression or why they could think come, but ultimately, it's not flesh and blood that we deal with. It's not our physical body that we're, we're battling against. It is, it's a spiritual battle. It's the enemy trying to bring things our way, bring in thoughts. And you know what? There's an expression, there's a, a saying that says, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from laying a nest in your hair. Okay. The enemy is going to bring thoughts your way. Okay. But it's our choice whether we hold on to them and we continue to maul them over in our brains and think over them and think over them and, and, and focus on them. That is our job. So what are we watching on TV? You know, what are we listening to? What type of music are we listening to? What things are coming in through our eye gates and our ear gates that are affecting our soulish realm? So again, we're talking about the sovereignty of God. And what I'm trying to point in out here is we have a choice. 
Matthew 5, 27 through 29 says, again, Matthew 5, 27 through 29. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to cast to be cast into hell. And so, and then in, in verse 30, he talks about the hand also. And this one, he was talking about the eye. In verse 30, he talks about a hand. So uh, why am I bringing that up? Just because it's it's the eye that causes us to, you know, in this situation with adultery, it's it's the eye that causes us to sin. We're, we're look, not causes, but we see, and then we begin to lust, and we, and we begin to mull it over our brain, and we think about it, and we give birth to to sin. But ultimately, what are we thinking about? Now, here, here's another one. We talked about depression a little bit. Are we anxious? So we need to stop allowing, and, and again, I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that. That's not my heart, okay? But we need to stop allowing. We need to stop choosing and allowing our minds to play the what-if game, okay? Uh, when we play the what-if game, we're getting, worked op- we're getting worked up over things that haven't even happened. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says be anxious for nothing so <laughs> let's 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 start off with that one again philippians 4 6 through 7 it starts off by saying be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through christ jesus so what is that verse saying there it says don't allow your minds to be anxious. Let your requests be made known to God. Go ahead and, and have communion with God. Talk with him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it says it will, it's a promise, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So now what happens, Jason, if if I, if I okay, I, I, I heard that scripture. I'm choosing not to be anxious. I talk to God about it. I tell him that this... God, this anxiousness is is trying to come against me. And in Jesus' name, anxiousness, I command you to leave. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not anxious. Well, you know what? The enemy is going to keep coming after you, okay? I'm not saying that it's a one-time thing and then from there for the rest of your life, you don't ever have to deal with anxiousness or depression or anything like that. The enemy is going to try to keep coming back. And again, the word is like a seed. We got to get the word in us. We got to start to understand things better. Um, and it's not a race, but with this, all I'm trying to share with you is that, you know what? Yes, just keep standing on what you said. Don't allow our circumstances and how things are in the physical realm to determine whether or not the word is true. Okay. And I know that's, that's a really simplified way of saying things right now, but I just want to encourage you just keep holding on to what you have. Just keep holding on to what the word says Look up scriptures that had to do with peace or, or um, you know, I talked about in, in the last series about concordances and, and there's all sorts of things on your phone and, and you don't have to have a paperback book, but you can look up scriptures, you know, if we're dealing with, with sickness and disease, look up scriptures on healing, look up sick, uh, scriptures in, in the New Testament. Um, well, there's Old Testament ones too, but you have to have the proper application. But look, look up things on wholeness and, and peace and, and, and just you know study out these topics. 
and and it'll help you. Uh, Matthew six twenty five through thirty four, it says, "Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they?" I'm going to stop right there. Did you, did you know that in this scripture, he's talking about, you know, he obviously I just read about birds, but you know what? He, he values you more than any bird and they don't have to worry about food. They don't have to worry about shelter. God takes care of them. Well, God cares for you way more than a bird. So which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more, again, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And here's the key. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So again, I'm not sharing any of these scriptures to be insensitive to what you may be going through. But I just want to point out these scriptures and so you can go back and you can read them and, and just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you uh, well beyond what I'm going to share. Like there's a lot of things in this last Matthew 6, 25 through 34, a lot of things that I want to hit on, but but I'm not going to right now. Because ultimately what we're trying to get at is that God is good and we're talking about the sovereignty of God. But go back and look at those scriptures. So again, there's balance. We're all on a journey, but, but if we're unaware that it's not God's will or desire for us to stay there, we won't know that we should fight against whatever it is coming against us. God's will for us is not anxiety. It's not depression. It's not sickness. God's will is not any of those things. But just like how I'm teaching against the ex extreme sovereignty of God doctrine, if we thought the junk, in our, the junk in our lives was because it was from God or he's allowing it to happen, then why would we ever fight back against it? James 4, 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Again, it's never God's will for us to be stuck. He always desires good for our lives. So if we want to operate in more peace in our lives, our mind needs to be stayed on him. So how do I practically keep my mind stayed on, on God? Well, we first need to get the word in us. Start in the New Testament. If, if you're not too familiar with the, with the Bible, start reading in John or, or start reading in Romans. Don't, don't treat the Bible like a general book. You, you don't want to go to the first book, which is Genesis. Now, there's nothing wrong with Genesis. There's nothing wrong with the Old Testament. But until we really get the word in us, what I'm going to point you to is I'm going to point you to the New Testament. Because, again, we're talking about God is good, and he is. We need to see Jesus's nature. You, you won't see in the New Testament, Jesus put sickness and disease on anyone. You'll see times where he healed everyone or where he healed someone or, or 
There were people that Jews weren't even supposed to talk to. And there he was sitting with the woman at the well, talking to her and saying, you know what, if you knew uh, who you were talking with, you'd ask me for a drink and I'd give you, I'd give you living water and you'd never thirst again. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, so in the New Testament, when you look at Jesus, you'll see him being good. <laughs> That's what, and in the Old Testament, you'll see the wrath of God and the anger of God. And it wasn't at, it, and it wasn't geared towards man. It was geared towards man's sin. And the reason for that is, well, let me oversimplify this, is if you see that in the Old Testament, because we're talking about, is God good? When God poured out his anger and his wrath, it was never a blessing. Okay, it was always a curse. Okay, I'm going to say that again. If you see God's anger and wrath poured out in the Old Testament, an oversimplification of it is it was never a blessing. It was always a curse. Now, thank God that Jesus has set us free from the curse of sin and death. That's why we look to Jesus now and you'll see that Jesus is good. That's all he was. So, and again, when you're reading the word, when you're when you're starting to get the word in yet, you know, don't be worried about time. Just read. You know, for me, one of my favorite ways to read is just to kick my feet up, to open up the Bible and just read. And I'm not worried about it if it's for five minutes or for an hour or for 30 minutes. I'm not worried about if I read three chapters or even one verse. Okay. Sometimes God's word hits you so good and you can't even get through a whole scripture verse because that one sentence just ministers to you so much. And I could sit there for a half hour just thinking about that one scripture. And then I could, hey, oh shoot, I got to get to work. And all I got was that one scripture. Well, it's in my head. And I can be thinking about that, meditating on that all day. Now, when I say meditating, I'm not talking about like the poses and the things that you see where you're um, downward dog and all that stuff. I'm not talking about that type of meditation. Just meditation, what I'm talking about is just rolling the word over in your mind, just thinking about it over and over and over. That's just meditating on it. You know, so what I would do is I'd have my bookmark, I'd read. I'd go to work all day. The cool thing is the word would start coming alive because some of the scriptures I just read that morning, they'd come back to my remembrance through the day. And I'd be like, man, I just read that this morning and it applies to what I just what just happened today. Like I just read that scripture in, in Matthew 6 about uh, don't worry about the birds. They got, they, they, God feeds them. And I had this one job where sometimes I didn't, I didn't make a good choice the night before to, you know, I wasn't doing bad stuff, but I didn't choose to make a lunch the night before. And I, and I had to get out the door. And so I didn't bring a lunch with me. And so I was going to be gone all day and I didn't have money to go buy some McDonald's or something like that. So I just was like, well, I'll just have to suck it up all day and then I'll eat when I get home. And I'd go and I'd work and, and someone would have an extra sandwich and they'd say, Hey, here you go, man. You want this? I say, yeah, you know, or I'd, you know, just something like that. And then that verse would come back to me and it's like, man, God told me that he cares about me more than he cares about some birds and he feeds me and I don't have to worry about it. Okay. Now I, I could get in a ditch because like I said, it's all about balance. I could get in a ditch and say, well, God's going to take care of me every day. I'll never pack a lunch. And that's not what that's about. Okay. God, we have choices to make. He gives us wisdom. We learn things and we move on and we, and yeah, but, but all he's trying to say is that, you know, God will take care of us. So again, back to the word that would happen and the word would start to come alive um, to me. And I'd be so excited to get back home so I could get back in my Bible. It was no longer a chore. Um, it was no longer like, well, I got to read my Bible now, you know, or else God's going to be mad at me. And, and that's a lie. I'm, I'm saying that sarcastically. 
there's nothing you could do in your life that would, if you're born again, God's not angry at you. He's not even a little bit upset at you. You know, when he looks at you and you're born again, he sees, he sees his spirit on the inside of you. So again, don't be worried about how much you read, how long you read. Just spend time with Jesus. That That's all it is. You know, the enemy wants to get you thinking, oh, you're not doing it right. You didn't pray long enough. You didn't do this and that and blah, 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 all that crap. And, and all that stuff is just uh, an attempt to distract you from just from just hanging out with God. And that's all that no, that's all that, that is about. So back to verse four. And again, we're in Psalm 23. So verse four it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So what I want you to see here is I walk through. It says, Yea, though I walk through. So we have to walk through it. And then at the end it says, For you are with me. God's intent for us is to walk through. He doesn't want us to camp out in those valleys. John 16, says, and this is Jesus speaking, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So how do we be of good cheer during the trials and the tribulations that come our way? We must recognize that we're in him. So what I'm referring to is when we become born again, he comes into our life, His the, the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home in us, but we're also in him. And, and the word refers to it in Colossians as the great mystery. Uh, but he's in us and we're in him. But what I'm really referring to is who we are in Christ. So who are we in Christ? We are an overcomer. We're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. We're blessed going in and blessed going out. As Jesus is, so are we in this world right now. And that's not referring to what you physically see. It's referring to what's happened on the inside of us in your born again spirit. We are as he is right now in this world and we are blessed going in and blessed going out. Mark 4, 16 through 17 says, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So this gives a picture of someone who doesn't have the understanding of who they are in Christ. And that's what's so important is understanding, better understanding that I am in Christ and he's in me. So the root that this scripture is, it says have no root in themselves what that root is referring to is I'm in him and he's in me. So why do tribulation and persecutions arise? They are they arise and they come for the word's sake. The enemy wants to, as I kind of alluded to earlier, the enemy wants to steal away the word. And what's the word? It's the Bible. It's the word that has been placed in our hearts. And the enemy wants to get us distracted and get us frustrated and to throw out the things that we've learned in the world to get us more focused on our five senses and say, you know what, I know the Bible said that, but this is what I'm experiencing. So I'm going to pay more attention to that than what the truth of God's word does. That's what the enemy wants to do. And again, it's not God's desire for you to park in the valley of the shadow of death. He wants you to walk through the storms of life. And because we know he is with us, that's why we don't have to fear. So verse 5 you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. 
an example of preparing a table in the presence of my enemies. Well, let's look to Jesus. You know, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Well, Judas was there at the Last Supper. Jesus even washed Judas's feet, knowing full well he would betray him. So we have the ability, if Jesus could do that, to the same person that was going to, you know, betray him so that he would be murdered, we have the ability to show love to, to any and all people in any and all situations. The word says, my cup runs over. Um, and what this is just referring to is it's abundance. And that's not a, a cheap plug with this with this podcast, but that's what it is. That's what abundance is, is having more than enough. Second Peter 1, 2 through 3 says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. So right now we're talking about, we're all, we're all talking about God is good, but specifically right now we're looking at who we are in Christ, reminding ourselves who we are in Christ. So what happens when, like the scripture says, when we have the knowledge of God, it says that grace and peace are multiplied to us. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his as as his divine power has given to us has given is in the past tense has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue so he has given to us all things he's not going to get it to us one day you've already got it right now in the past tense so how how do i get all things pertain to pertaining to life and godliness we know it through the knowledge of him, through Jesus. You must know you've been given all things in order for it to be effectual in your life. And I'm going to say that one more time. You must know you've been given all things in order for it to be effectual in your life. And so where has it been given? In your born-again spirit. We're three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what does that say? Well, first off, let's look at the word surely. You know, surely doesn't mean, it doesn't mean maybe. It means surely. It means that's how it is. It's a sure thing. What goes along with surely goodness, and we're talking about God is good. Goodness, and, and goodness is not putting sickness on someone to teach them a lesson. There's nothing good about that. In Acts 10, 38, it says how, and, and we're done with the Psalm scripture. We're going to move on to the next scripture. It says Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with them. Now I really like how my pastor does it. When he, when he brings up that scripture uh, on Sundays, he'll read it like this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about putting sickness and disease on everyone he saw. You know, no, absolutely not. It says, he who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So Jesus is who we're talking about here. Jesus was the one going about doing good and healing all. And then it points out who the oppressor is. So who is the oppressor? It says they were oppressed by the devil. It's not God. God is not the one putting sickness and disease or or making it so little girls are raped or or kids are killed, or God is not the one doing that stuff. We've got to stop blaming God. The devil loves the extreme sovereignty of God doctrine because God keeps get blamed, keeps getting blamed for all the things that he's doing. So again, Jesus was the one who goes about doing good. He is not the oppressor. And so what does the word oppressor mean in the dictionary? 
So it means a person or group that exercises authority or power over another in a harsh and burdensome way. So the devil is the one doing the oppressing, not Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says, Who being the brightness, and this is referring to Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So let me unpack this a little bit. It says the express image of his person. So his person, when it says that phrase, his person, it's referring to the character or the nature of God. Okay. In John 14, 9, it says, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? So what we're seeing here, because it's talking about his person, it says that Jesus being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, it's talking about how Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. And Jesus later says that, like we just read, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So stop looking to the Old Testament way that God dealt with man's sin because Jesus hadn't come yet. Jesus came and died on the cross, and now we have a new way of it. So when we look at Jesus, we don't have to think about God in the Old Testament, how he would pour his wrath and anger down on man's sin. Not on man, but on man's sin because there was judgment. Jesus has set us free from all that stuff. So when we when we look at Jesus, he is the exact representation of the Father God. And last, James 1.17, it says every, again, we're talking about is God good? James 1.17 says every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So again, Every good and perfect gift is from above. It doesn't say every, you know, every sickness and disease and and trial that that that's not from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Now I'm going to leave you with with something to think about. And we'll explain it more a little bit in part 2, but I just want to be I want you to be aware of it. So here's the progression that can take place when there's an improper understanding of the sovereignty of God. So here's an example. When something terrible happens, and let's use the example like, and I've, and I've said some of these things already, but you know, let's say a child dies or anyone dies, uh, someone is paralyzed, someone gets in a, a, a terrible report from a doctor, someone is raped, you know, someone is murdered, you know, all these terrible things that can happen in this world. So if, if, if we go by the extreme sovereignty of God teaching that all things happen for a reason, that you know, that was his God's will. If that's the way that we view those terrible things that happen, here's what can happen. First, it can bring temporary relief or comfort. Now, how the heck could you have any temporary relief or comfort from all those terrible things I've listed? Well, here's what I mean by that. Because if it because someone could think that because it was God because it was God's will, then there's the potential to feel better about that situation. Because I believe in God, I, I want to believe that he's good. And even though these terrible things happen and, you know, we've been told that they're from, you know, religion has come along and tried to tell us that not only are bad things from God, but that the intent of those bad things in our lives is positive. 
So what's positive about any of those things I just, I just mentioned about a girl being raped or a child being murdered? What's positive about any of those things? There's nothing positive about those things. But that's what religion has done is it's come along and it's tried to tell us that not only are those things from God because only what he wants to happen happens, but God has a positive reason for that. No, that's, that's crap. Romans 8.28, again, I'm, I apologize. I'm, this, this just fires me up because I hate this doctrine. It's from the pit of hell. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So, so what is his purpose? It's only good. Okay, God's purpose is only good. He is a good God. So back to how the extreme sovereignty of God teaching can bring temporary relief or comfort because ultimately, hey, I'm going to trust God because this is just God's will and I'm just going to choose to trust him and that his ways are higher than my ways. But the problem is none of those things are his ways. In part two, we're going to look at what God himself says are blessings and cursings and, 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 he, and he talks about that in Deuteronomy. And I'm going to give you a little, a little spoiler Sickness, disease, death, all those terrible things we've listed a little bit ago, none of those things are in the blessing category. They're always listed in the curses uh, that are directly from God. And again, I'm going to give an oversimplification of the Old Testament compared to the New. God's anger and wrath towards man, more specifically towards man's sin, was never a blessing. It was always a curse. So we're talking about what three things can happen when someone believes this extreme sovereignty of God teaching. The first one was that it can bring temporary relief or comfort because ultimately they think, well, this is just God's will. It can bring temporary relief. Number two, after the temporary relief wears off, then that comfort then can turn into confusion. And what I mean by confusion is, well, why would God want this to happen? You know, this is obviously a bad thing. Why would he want this? Why would he allow it? Why why would a loving God allow this to happen to me? Or why would he allow it to happen to my child? One example of that is, and I'm kind of alluding to it, is this phrase that goes along that gets said, well, God just needed another angel. That's where that's why he took your child. And I won't get into this too much, but first off, we don't become angels when we go to heaven, okay? And again, John 10, 10 says that the thief... And who is he talking about? Satan does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Okay? God doesn't need you in heaven. If, if God, let me put it this way. When we go to heaven, we'll, we'll be spending eternity with him. Well, what did Paul say? He's like, I wish that I, and I'm, this is, and I'm breaking it down here. I'm not reading it from Scripture. But Paul talked about how he wishes he could be in heaven because it'd be better for me to be in heaven. But it's better for you that I stay here. It's better for me to be on earth so that I can help bring others to Christ, so that I can give help people and lead them in understanding God's uh, nature and, and, and his love for them better. So I need to stay here and and help help you all. But ultimately, I wish I could be in heaven. Well, God doesn't need... He doesn't take your child. He doesn't kill your child. He doesn't need another angel. We don't become angels. Ultimately, our purpose on earth is to have relationship with the Father. But past that, what are we to do? We're to fulfill the Great Commission. We're to bring others to Christ. And if we're in heaven, it doesn't, it doesn't do anybody else any good. So 
there's a lot more that could be said about that, but God does not kill children, okay? He does not. Anyways, you get the point. God is good. So then after that comfort wears off and it turns into confusion, what's the next step? Then that confusion can then turn into anger towards God. You know, if God would kill my dad or my child or take my job away so that I can't provide for my family, then I want nothing to do with God. You know, and that and that's that progression that can take place. I just want to share with you again, God's will is only good for your life. It's not bad. And I hope from this you can at least see that God is good. And later on in the series, stick with us. We'll go over some more things about this that I believe will help you as you continue on in your journey with Jesus. But he loves you. He loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not even a little bit upset. Thanks for listening today and join us again next time on the Abundance Podcast.